invite Amanda up. We have a special guest speaker this morning, and her husband, Renee, has joined us in praise. Thank you, Renee, for blessing us with your musical talents and your musical ministry. I also want to take a moment and just welcome Nate Bannis to the piano. This is his first time praising with us. He's doing a fantastic job. And just as Pastor has been talking about growing young, part of that is equipping our young people to take over for us. Because all of us are getting old. Let's just admit to it, right? All of us are getting older. And to see God's blessing of gifts in our younger generation and then them living it out is such an amazing thing to see. So we are just excited that not only does Nate play beautifully with us, and Mom's shutting me off, so that means I need to get off the stage. <laughs> but thank you, Nate, for joining us. We look forward to having him as part of our worship more as we come up. I think Amanda, before she comes up, I, th I think I was supposed to sing. So... Happy Sabbath, church. It's really awesome to be here. It's been quite a while, but we're glad that you guys invited us back. Um, I say we just continue the worship uh, and blend right in. I feel like, I mean, personally, I like music, so I could sing here all day with you guys. Um, so let's just keep that going. Um, the song that I'm going to sing, I guess it talks about the friend that we have, um, which is Jesus, obviously. Um, in this life, sometimes it's a little difficult. Uh, sometimes it's tough to find that one good friend, if you can name him. Um, but he, uh, he never, never lets us down. We're never alone. We always know that we can go to him in time of need. than a brother There is no judgment Oh how he loves me I've got a friend He is my strength He is my portion With me in the valley With me in the fire 
with me in the storm. Let all my life testify. Hallelujah. We are not alone. God really loves us. God really loves us. Hallelujah. Oh, praise my soul. God really season
Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Like my husband has said, it is good to be back. And today we are accompanied by our twin boys, River and Reed, right? And so they are already five years old, which means we can't keep up with them. And so we always bring good friends who don't have kids who think our kids are so cute. That's the secret to success. When you have kids, you find friends who don't have kids. And then you enable them to be your lifelong babysitters. All right, so grateful for them. And just a quick update. I'm not going to be able to tell you so much about what's going on with I Believe. I know we've come here together with I Believe, and I've come here alone a couple of times. Um, but God is working, and so keep us in your prayers. And then... If you have Instagram, I'm currently on TikTok. Look at me. If you have Instagram or TikTok, we, um, every morning I do these little devotionals. They're between three to five minutes, and it's video format. I do it there on the ranch, so you'll get to see all the beautiful trees and all that good stuff. So on Instagram, I believe it's Amanda Leonardi 26 okay? And if you have any further questions with that, I will send it to you, but I would love for you to join us every morning for a quick little devotion. You can put it in your car or put it in the car for the kids. I think you'll enjoy it, okay? And so we have lots to cover today, so I hope you are awake. I hope you are excited because God has a message for us, okay? I know that the sound is going crazy here. Pull it over. I'm too close. How about now? We'll try. We'll try this. Okay? So let's pray, and then we will get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is good to be in your house. We've sang songs of worship, and we prayed, Lord, about a God who not only wants to give us a future but hope. And so, Lord, for that, we need to be willing to give you our hearts. And so today's message is entitled, undivided hearts. May that be our reality today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God told David, you are not to build my house for you are a warrior and a man who has shed blood. Instead, God chooses his son Solomon to build the temple. You see, King David had learned by his own experiences how hard is the path of the one who departs from God. And now he cautions his son Solomon with these words. My son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. The Lord has chosen you to build him a house as the sanctuary. So David encourages his son, son, wholehearted devotion, undivided heart and a willing mind. He says, Solomon, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord God will be with you. He will not forsake you until the work is complete. And then God shows up to Solomon. As you can imagine, he is a boy and he is shaken in his boots. He says, Lord, but, but why me? And so it says that God shows up to him in a dream. 
And in that dream, God says, ask, what shall I give you? Can you imagine if God were to show up to you tonight and say, whatever you want, I will give it to you. Now Solomon could have asked for anything, but we know the story tells us that Solomon, he asked for wisdom. Since you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, he's been faithful to you and, and righteous and upright heart. And so if you would continue this kindness towards him and you have placed me on the throne, God, he goes, but I am but a little child. I am but a little child. I don't know how to carry out these duties. And so he says, Lord, would you give me wisdom and discernment? Ellen White says that Solomon was never so rich, he was never so wise, that when he confessed to the Lord, I am but a child, I know not what to do. So he asked for a discerning heart, and God's response, God was pleased with his ask. And God says, because you have not asked for life or wealth or the death of your enemies, but discernment and wisdom, I will give you what you have asked. You will be wiser and more discerning than any king now and every king to come. And I will also give you that which you have not asked. You see, when Solomon exalted the law of heaven, God was with him and wisdom was given to him. But unfortunately, Solomon soon will bow before the idols of the heathen. Hundreds of years prior to the birth of Solomon, God had given Moses specific instructions to anyone who would sit on the throne, God says, Moses, you need to remind them, you need to instruct them to do a couple of things to the one who sits on the throne of Israel. Number one, may he learn to fear the Lord his God. Number two, to keep all the words of the laws and of the statutes. Number three, that his heart would not be lifted up amongst his brethren, that he would not be prideful. And number four, that he would not turn aside, not even to the left or to the right of the commandment. In connection with this instruction, the Lord particularly cautioned the one who might be anointed king. Listen, boys, do not multiply your wives because you can't even handle one. He says, what do you guys do? You can't even handle one. What are you doing multiplying wives? He says, do not multiply your wives because they will turn your hearts from me to them and do not multiply your silver and your gold. But in seeking to strengthen his relations with the powerful kingdom that surrounded him, Solomon ventured upon forbidden ground. And so now you have a man whose father says, my son, may God give you wholehearted devotion, an undivided heart, but you will see that when we venture onto forbidden ground, our heart starts to divide. And the result of going against the plain commandments of God, a divided heart. From a human point of view, Solomon thought that his marriage, though contrary to the plain commandments of God, would be a blessing. Did you catch that? Solomon thought, he illusioned himself that somehow if he went against the commandments of God that somehow this would bring about blessing. Solomon's heathen wife was converted and she united with God in true worship for a time. 
Not only that, but because he married the daughter of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you know, like a good father-in-law, he started to win battles for Solomon. He defeated the Canaanites for Solomon. And the city was beginning to be rebuilt. And they apparently looked strengthened along the Mediterranean seacoast. But oh, like the words of his father, there is a way that seems right to men, but in the end it leads to death. And forming an alliance with the heathen nation and sealing the contract through a forbidden marriage, Solomon rashly disregarded the instructions of God. And let me remind you, no good thing will come when we break commandments. No good thing will come when we break principles. The hope that his Egyptian wife would have been converted was but a feeble excuse to sin. And we do it all the time. We justify ourselves. We try to misinterpret and manipulate the gospel to fit our lifestyle when really we should be manipulating ourselves to fit into the gospel. Oh, we say, but Lord, he's such a good girl. He's such a good guy. And I know he will be converted. I know she will be converted. If Solomon, the wisest king in the world, if he failed on this point, who are we? Oh, it was a feeble excuse to sin. And you know what happens? Solomon begins to lose sight of the source of his glory and of his power. Solomon's heart was divided. Self-confidence increases. And he sought to carry out God's plan his own way. He reasoned that the political and commercial alliances, that he could get these nations to acknowledge the true God. He reasoned that, you know, by sealing these marriages with these heathen princesses, that he will be able to turn the heathen hearts to the true God of Israel. Now listen closely. Solomon's mistake in regarding himself as strong enough to resist temptation to resist the influence of his heathen associates was fatal. How could he who disregarded the law of God lead others to rever and obey it? Are we following? How could he? He was disobeying the plain commandments of God and yet he was trying to teach others to obey it? What kind of hypocrisy is that? Oh, we parents, sometimes we do one of these, do as I say, not as I do. If you want your child to love Jesus and you do not love him, how does that work? When the Bible says, teach your child in the way he should go, and when he's older, he won't depart from it. If I am to teach you, I need to first know the way. How can you teach me to ride a bicycle if you do not know how to ride a bicycle? Solomon thought that he could teach them to honor the law of God, and yet he did not honor the law of God. We cannot teach others to be who we are not. And soon we will see in the life of Solomon that the greatest want of the world, oh, if you know this quote, you can say it with me, the greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their innermost souls are true and honest men. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for right though the heavens may fall. 
So gradual was Solomon's apostasy that he didn't even notice. So gradual, it was so imperceptible, his distance from God. And his heart begins to divide. And seeking to glorify himself before the world, he sold his honor and he sold his integrity. And what is the point of gaining the whole world and losing your soul? From the wisest and most merciful kings who ever lived, he became a tyrant. Once the compassionate, God-fearing guardian of the people, he became oppressive. The people began to complain. His, the respect and admiration that they once had towards him and for him, they no longer had. You know, God had given several safeguards to his king. And one of the safeguards that he had given so that pride and arrogance wouldn't rise up in the hearts of the king was, listen, do not depend on the arm of flesh. Do not depend on your biceps to win battles. And so God says, don't multiply your horses for yourself because who wins battles is me through you. And oftentimes, you don't even need to fight. You just need to position yourself because salvation comes from the Lord. And so in 1 Kings 10, 26, it says, Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities. Now, with that beautiful and attractive women from all over, Egypt, Phoenician, Moab, all these beautiful women were brought into the kingdom. The women were numbered by hundreds, and their religion was idol worship. They had been taught cruel practices and degrading rights, and he was so infatuated by their beauty that the king neglected the duties he had before God and before his kingdom. A divided heart places desire above duty. And it came to pass, the Bible says, that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart away to their gods. His heart was no longer perfect before the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father's David. And he went after all of these lowercase g gods. A divided heart pleases people above pleasing God. We need to figure out this fear of the Lord thing because once we figure out fear of the Lord, we will fear no one else. But once we do not fear the Lord, we will try to somehow appease people and we will put principle aside to somehow please people at their death. We will try, we're, we're thinking we're nice people and we're okay with this. If we do not give a no, a thus saith the Lord, and people start thinking that they're doing it because we're trying to be, we're not being nice people, we're, not, we're being cowards. It's hard to say truth, but there's only one thing that sets us free. The truth will set you free. And oftentimes Jesus said truth with tears in his eyes, trembling lips, but our compassionate father does not lie and neither should we. And so if we don't start figuring out this fear of God above all else, we will try to please people to their destruction. And so it says that Solomon, even he went as low as sacrificing children. You and I have no idea how evil we can be apart from God. 
We have no, we have no idea. We look at all these heinous crimes of society. Oh, I would never do that. You wouldn't. You would do worse. He went as low as sacrifice. Remember, he was the one who restored the baby to their rightful mother. And yet now he was creating huge, huge idols and erecting all of these idols and placing children at the altar of idols. Can you imagine? Satan was ever seeking to distract Solomon. And when Satan was able to distract him, he was able to divide his heart. And the reality of this morning and the reality of our society, the reality of today is that Satan is trying to distract your heart. He's trying to distract you. And so I want to read to you, this is one of the devotionals that we did this week. And I hope it's a wake-up call for you this morning as it was a wake-up call for me and all of those who watched online. And so let's imagine, let's imagine if we will, that we are able to enter into the meeting sort of the, the group session of Satan and all his evil angels. And they get together in this meeting to figure out how they will disrupt and distract us. And so I want you to imagine, if you want to close your eyes, you can. I want you to focus. I want you to pay attention to every word. One day, Satan called a worldwide meeting to discuss how to keep Christians from having a meaningful walk with Jesus. As the vast crowd hushed, he took the stage. We can't stop them from attending church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles, he began. But we can prevent them from forming an abiding relationship with Jesus. Let them be convinced as long as they're not converted. Do you know the difference? Is Satan convinced, yes or no? Is Satan convinced? Of course he is. Does Satan believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Does Satan believe that he walked, died on the cross, and then rose again to give us eternal life? Yes or no? Satan is convinced, but now is he converted? The reality is, in this place today, there are Christians that are convinced, but not converted. I need to reflect with myself. Am I convinced or am I converted? When someone is convinced, they have behavioral changes, but it's short-lived, it's short-last. It doesn't last very long. I'm a therapist. I can work on you to change a couple habits here or there, but what I cannot do is change the human heart. And don't let any therapist tell you that they can't. Oh, the arrogance. Human beings cannot change human hearts because guess what? I can't even change my own. We can change some behaviors, we can change some habits, but now in order for us to be converted, we need a change of hearts. With a change of hearts come changes of behaviors and lifestyles and attitudes and thoughts, yes, and these will be consistent and forever because our consistency will be safeguarded with Jesus who has promised us the gift of, this, of the spirit such as self-control. You don't have self-control. Oh, you don't, you do not have self-control. You don't. Say, oh, like, I'm gonna go, but I have self-control. No, you don't. You know the people who have the most self-control in the world are those who don't, don't put themselves in situations to use it. Satan continues, 
Let them experience a couple of behavioral changes as long as they don't experience heart transformation. They can have their Christian checklist all checked off, but make sure that their hearts are divided. Saying continues, let them go to church, let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time. You must distract them. The secret to our success lies in their distraction. Well, the angel said, well, 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 how how are we going to do this? How shall we do this? Simple, he replied. Keep them busy, busy, busy with the non-essentials of life and invent unnumbered distractions. Tempt them to spend and spend and then borrow and borrow. Keep them from their children. Now listen closely. Keep them from their children. Convince the wives to go to work and the husbands to work six and seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their expensive lifestyles. Tell them they're doing it for their children. Ha, that one works well and it works every time. We're not doing it for our children. We're doing it we're doing it for ourselves. If I buy River and Rita present from the dollar store, and if I buy them a jet ski, they get excited for both. They get excited for both. And oftentimes, they will play with the boxes than the things that are actually inside. I say, Lord, have mercy. I kid you not, my mother came home this week from Costco, and she said, River and Reed, I bought you a gift. And, you know, boom, wide eyes, the bluest little eyes you can see. They look, what is it? And she brings from her back two cardboard boxes that she put all the groceries in. (laughs) Yeah, Grandma, high five. And it's a boat, and it's a ship, and it's an airplane. They were, more, they were more content. They were happier with boxes that grandma then played with them than toys just to keep them distracted because, oh, they're such a pain. Do you see the difference? Listen, before this sermon is given to you, it was first given to me. So if you're feeling, you know, just like, well, I'm in battle, right? You're getting like like pummeled here this morning. Welcome. Welcome. As their families fall apart, soon their homes won't offer a safe haven from the pressures of the outside world. They will dread to come home, and so they will work all the harder. In order to be successful at distracting them, you must overstimulate their minds so that they can no longer hear the still, small voice of God. Start with sugar, highly processed foods, and too much food. We need to weaken their physical bodies so that we would weaken their mind. Entice them to play music whenever they drive while bombarding them with billboards. Entice them to keep the TV on their homes 24-7 with some Netflix show to binge. Just make sure there is distracting noise constantly in their homes. Don't allow for family dinner. Each kid needs to have the latest cell phone in hand behind a closed door so that they become addicted to some phone game and TikTok. Make sure these kids find their identity in who the internet says they are and not the word of God. I started doing therapy with a young girl. Well, young, she's in her 20s. And I said, fill in the blank. I am who I am because of the... 
And she replied, because of the internet. And so she is confused. She doesn't know who she is or who she, she's confused. Give them the latest cell phone, shove them in the room, close the door and make sure they're getting who they are from the internet. That's Satan's suggestion. Also, mom and dad, don't never sleep at the same time. Keep mom in bed aimlessly scrolling through Instagram to try to figure out all the things that everyone else has in their homes and we don't have in ours. And then we get to compare everyone else's romantic, hot, kind husbands that we, and we get stuck with, th with this. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I mean, you saw my husband. I mean, come on. All right? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about mine. My, I mean, come on. But she says, don't let mom and dad sleep at the same time. Keep mom aimlessly scrolling through the internet, through Instagram, and keep dad on his computer. Tempt him with porn and cause him to waste time with video games till, I don't know, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Keep them distracted with emails, text messages, and phone calls from the time they wake up to the time they fall exhausted in their beds at night. With weakened bodies and weakened minds, they will become an easy prey. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Don't let them simply enjoy a walk in nature, a walk on the beach, or a bike ride as a family. No, make recreation overstimulating as possible. Oh, and before I forget, Satan says, before I forget, make sure every kid has at least three extracurricular activities. It works well because that way no one will ever be at the same place at the same time. And you can't form relationships if you're not at the same place at the same time. So if you have three kids and three different activities for each of them, you know, mom one day will have to go Sunday to one game and dad will have to go to another game and then no, no one ever sees each other. It works. Is this not our reality right now? When they meet for Bible study group, make sure they read every latest devotional on the market, but just don't let them read the Bible because that's a dangerous book. Let them read whatever they want. Oh, the latest therapist. Oh, the latest pastor. Devo Listen, devotionals are great. I hope you, I, told, I asked you to watch mine. They're great. But devotionals do not have the power to change your heart. Yes, they can be used and they can get you curious to go to the word of God because the only thing that changes human hearts is the word of God and prayer. That's it. It's just, so keep them reading whatever they want to read. Just don't let them read the Bible. It can transform them. Anyways, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave church every weekend with troubled conscience and unsettled emotions. Don't let them encourage each other. And above all, keep them from praying for one another. And if they must, let them, now this, this one was scary for me. If, if they must, let them be involved in ministry. But crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon they will be working in their own strengths and their labors will be fruitless. Satan doesn't care if I preach. Satan doesn't care if you sing. Satan doesn't care if you play an instrument as long as you are doing it in your strength. And then everything we do here is entertainment and not heart transformation. Have you become distracted? Is your heart divided? You see, Solomon thought 
that he was somehow too wise to fall. The lost man is the one who thinks he has dominion over his sin. I'm going to say that again. The lost man is the man who thinks he has dominion over his sin. You and I do not have dominion over our sin. We don't. Which is why Jesus had to come and live as man and die on the cross to give us victory. And so we don't have victory over sin because of my strength, because a man that has dominion. No, 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 no. It's because I abide in him and make his strength my strength. Because what does he say to Paul? Paul, that thorn is going to stay in your flesh. But in your weakness, I will be, my strength will be perfected in your weakness. Solomon thought he was stronger than his sin. Poor, frail human nature. God can do little for men who lose their dependence upon him. King David had learned by his own experience how hard is the path of those who depart from God. And now his son Solomon is also about to learn the lesson of how hard is the experience of those who depart from the path of God. No good thing will come from breaking commandments. No good thing will come from breaking principles. And so it says in 1 King 11 verse 9 that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned. He now had a divided heart. And so God commanded him in verse 11, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will tear away the kingdom from you and give it to another. He says, I'm going to let you stay on the throne for now but I'm going to tear the kingdom away from your lineage. But even in this, Solomon discerned a message of hope. Even in this, God saw that God had not utterly cut him off, but stood ready to deliver him from bondage. And you know what he begins to do? He could never escape some of the consequences, some of the results of his sin. He could never at times free his mind from these things, But what he could do was he could earnestly help others choose another path. That's what he could do. And so he sought through books like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, to help and warn others that they would choose a different path than he had chosen. Aided with the Holy Spirit, Solomon recorded for future generations all the history of his wasted years that we might not waste ours. I want to read to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I absolutely love. Look at what he says. It seems a pity that a man should have to live a long life of sin to learn that sin does not pay. It is a sad case when he comes to God with all his bones broken and enlists in the divine army after he has spent all his youth in the service of the devil and has worn himself out. Christ will have him whenever he comes. I don't care if you're 95 years old. If you come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you forgive me? Will Jesus forgive you? Of course, absolutely. We're not even arguing, you know, if Jesus loves you or does. Of course, and he is always ready and able to forgive. But Charles Spurgeon says, how much better it is while yet you are in the days of your youth to say, Lord, here I am. Take my heart. I have been constrained by your love. I yield to you in the prime of my being. How much better to not waste 
time and surrender yourself today to God so that he would use you in the prime of your years. With sorrow and shame, he confessed it in the prime of his manhood when he should have found his comfort and support in Christ, he lost sight of heaven. He lost sight of God. But I have a message for you. Let none who have fallen need to give up to despair. You think, oh man, I, I messed up. I've gone too far. None who have fallen need give up to despair. Aged men, once honored of God, may have defiled their soul, sacrificing virtue on the altar of lust. But if they repent, forsake sin, and turn to God, there is still hope for them. He who declares, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life, also gives the invitation, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God, and he will have mercy on them, for God freely forgives. So now what? After everything was said and done, we've understood the story of Solomon and his wasted years. What could have been of the man who was the wisest who ever lived? We will never know. You know, when I read the stories of the Bible and I see when it, there's a pause in the story, I always think, man, how would the story have been different if he would have not had a distracted heart and under, a divided heart. So now what, we have a role to play here as well. The Bible isn't just pretty little stories for us to come together on the Sabbath morning. The Bible is stories of men and women who God used them to change the world and now he uses their stories to embolden, to empower, to convert, to convict our hearts that we might now create new stories of the Bible. I want to read stories of the Bible with your names in it. I said, Lord, you know, I love the story of Moses and Solomon and, and David and Abraham, but I want to hear the story of Amanda. And so now what? If Solomon was here this morning to give you one advice, he would say this, my son, my daughter, give God your heart. That's what he'd say. Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. These were the words from the wisest men who ever lived. Give God your heart. Why? Now is the question of why right? And play devil's advocate. Well, why should I give God my heart, Amanda? Well, first, because love prompts the request. Let me explain. Only love seeks after love. If I desire the love of another, it can only mean because I love that person myself. I don't need the love of someone whom I do not love. Does that make sense? In fact, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want it. I don't know that I want it. But I want the best hugs and the best kisses from two little boys named River and Reed. And sure, Renee as well. Last night we slept in a hotel and it was like sandwich in the middle. Renee, you know, and Renee, oh boys, you sleep on that bed and then mom and I will sleep on this bed. And I just thought, oh God, that's not, that's in a hotel like that? Oh no. Soon it was Renee by himself in one bed and then each boy next to me. And then they go to him, right, in the height of his despair and say, she's my 
only love seeks after love, if I desire the love of another, it's only surely because I love that person myself. Second, we have nothing to lose and only everything to gain. Think about it. When you say, oh, no, I don't want to give God my heart. What is God to gain today if you gave him your heart? Let's reason here. If today we did give God our hearts, in what respect would he be greater? If today we gave God our hearts, in what respect would he be richer? The silver and the gold are mine, he says. The cattle on the thousand hills are mine, he says. Would he be greater? Would he be gooder? Would he be better? Gooder is not a word, but would he be all those things? He wouldn't. He would be no better if you and I decided to give him our heart, and yet he comes a wooing after us. Give me your heart. It's not for his benefit, then whose benefit is it? It's for my benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for our benefit. Surely it is more blessed for us to give than for him to receive. He can gain nothing, but we gain everything from the gift. How do I know God loves me? I want to show you first. I want to show you today that you would leave this place with no doubt in your mind. How do I know? He hasn't listened to my prayer. That thing that I asked for, he, he, did, he didn't tell me. I saw this woman this week on Instagram, and she says this, if God never answered another prayer, would the cross be enough to show you he loves you? That's good, right? So I want to show this video, this short video, to remind you that God loves you. He doesn't love us. He loves you. Because it's not enough for him to be the savior of the world if he's not the savior of your world. He wants an intimate and personal relationship with you. So much so that if you were the only person on planet earth today, he would die on the cross for you. Just you. Now don't ask me why. Don't ask, don't ask me why. But for whatever reason that is beyond my imagination... He finds something to love in people like us. It's hard to watch. And I invite you to watch it at home this week. You know, I see my husband there covering the eyes of our children. It's, it's hard to watch. It's difficult to watch. But Solomon says this, better it is to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because there the living will take it to heart. At times we need to go to the funeral. We need to go to the cross so that maybe somehow the Holy Spirit would shake us awake. It would serve as a wake-up call so that we would not waste a single moment of time. Now let me tell you why. The spotless Son of God hung upon the cross, his flesh lacerated with stripes. Those hands so often reached out in blessings, nailed to the wooden bars. Those feet so tireless on ministries of love spiked to the tree. That royal head pierced by crown of thorns. Those quivering lips shaped to the cry of woe. And all that he endured, the blood drops that flowed from his head, his hands, his feet. The agony that racked his frame. And the unutterable anguish that filled the soul of the hiding of his father's face speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, it is for you that the Son of God consents to bear the burden of guilt. 
It is for you that he spoils the dominion of death and opens the gates of paradise. For you, he offers himself on the cross a sacrifice, this out of love for you. The one hanging on the cross is the one making the request, give me your heart. The one who came and took human nature, the one who wore a human heart, is now asking for yours. Now, the second part of the verse says, let your eyes observe my ways. By observing him, by worshiping him, Satan can never distract us. By worshiping him, by observing him, our eyes fixed on him, Satan will never be able to divide our hearts. In giving him our undivided hearts, we are transformed by his love. Now, It makes sense. It's a good idea to guard your heart. But you cannot simply rely on abstinence. Give your heart to Jesus for nothing short of true godliness will preserve you from sin. Did you catch that? You don't have self-control. Solomon thought he did. Samson thought he did. The Bible reads, Samson, you're a Nazarite. No strong drink for you, no wine for you, okay? No alcohol for you. And then the story reads, and Samson went to the valley of Sorak, where there was the best wine to be found. And as he placed himself in the valley, as he placed himself in temptation, what happens? Cue and Delilah. Those who have the best self-control are those who do not put themselves in a position to need to use it. An undivided heart is a single-minded heart, one having one aim, a heart that is dedicated to God, a heart having one driving purpose, which is to live to please God and not man. A God whose attention is fixed on God alone and does not allow himself or herself to be distracted and influenced by the passing pleasures of sin. It tastes real good in the moment, but after... Oh, you've seen it yourself. You've tasted it yourself. We sin because it feels good, but the problem is it feels good short term. And then it begins to degrade our character. It begins to change our mind. It begins to ruin our soul. Renee's going to come up here to sing a song. And if today it is your desire to give Jesus your heart, say, you know what, Amanda? I heard you. I understood. I was moved. I was moved. I was not only convinced today but I want to allow God to convert me today. And so as you listen to this song, I need you to think with me. Am I willing to give my heart to Jesus today? If the answer to that question is yes, now how can we do this practically? In order for me to give someone my heart, first I need to find out where the heck it is. Where is your heart? Your heart is in all the distractions, be it good or be it bad. Maybe my heart is in ministry. Maybe my heart is with my children. These are good places. Maybe my heart is in a temptation or an addiction or in Netflix. Where where is your heart? First, we need to find out where our hearts are. And now let me tell you, wherever your heart is, if it is not in the hands of Jesus, it's in the wrong place. It's in the wrong place if it's in the hand of my husband. It's in the wrong place if it's in the hand of my children. Wherever your heart is, it first needs to be in the hand of Jesus or else it's in the wrong place. So find your hearts. 
As Renee is singing the song, I just want you to find your heart. Would you? Think about that question. Lord, you're asking for my heart. Today I'm willing to give you my heart. I don't want to be a convinced Christian. I want to be a converted Christian. So in Renee's song, God is going to show you exactly where your heart is. And then if you would go hurry and grab it, and today maybe be the day that we put our hearts in the right place. decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back Though I may wonder, still I will follow. Though I may wonder, I still will follow. Though I may wonder, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning corrupted but God says give me your heart and we say why what will you do with such a thing you have no idea what your heart will become in the hands 
of God. And so when you leave here this morning, I know that you put your tithes and offering outside, right? There's a little box there. God doesn't want your money. <laughs> he, has, he has enough money. He has, he has a lot of it. But he wants your heart. That he doesn't have. And so I want you to go there this morning. And sure, you're going to put what you want to put there. But in a symbolical way, I want you to put your heart in there. Because that's what he wants. Because when you put your heart in there, then everything else, be it your time, be it your gifts, be it your talents, be it your money, then he'll figure that out with you later. But first you need to give him your heart. You see, the problem with Martha was not that she was serving. In fact, in the story of Martha and Mary, oftentimes I identify as the Martha. Busy, 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 running around like a chicken with her head cut off. Someone help me. I identify as a Martha. There was nothing wrong with serving like Martha. The problem was that she was anxious and troubled. So we need to be able to serve with Martha with a merry heart. You see the difference? So we need to sit at the feet of Jesus first so we can serve him best. The last verse that I read to you this morning, and please put your heart in there. If it's anywhere else besides the hand of Jesus, it's in the wrong place. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And this is my prayer for all of us this morning. Psalm 86, verses 11 through 13. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, a lot of us are convinced. And the reality is there are some areas in my life that I am convinced, but I still need to be converted. And so, Lord, we don't want to be convinced Christians. We want to be converted Christians. Lord, we saw, we heard the meeting of Satan and his way to disrupt and distract us. Lord, we don't simply want to have a Christian checklist. Oh, Lord, would you help us keep our eyes fixed on you that we would not be distracted nor divided? Great is your faithfulness towards us. You have proved it on the cross. And so, Lord, if no other prayer is answered, but if we have the certainty of the cross, it is enough for we are loved, oh, so loved by you. And so today, Lord, your question to us is, my son, my daughter, would you, will you give me your heart? Because the reality is he has already given to us. His heart. <coughs> In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.